Well, you, you know, the, the story here is that one of the things that we tell people about protecting their data is to try and be selective about who you give it to. And, you know, data minimization, don't provide information to people you don't need to. Don't put it on the internet if you don't need to. And I remember I got the clipboard with the piece of paper and the pencil and I wrote in my personal information and, you know, I went about my business. And then in... 2016, they had a data breach. Uh, obviously, multi-factor authentication is, is a big thing. Often I hear people say, don't use SMS, because having 2FA with SMS is worse than just having a username and password. And I'll go, no, it's not. Hey everyone, it's David Bombal back with a very, very special guest. Troy, welcome. G'day, thank you for having me. Hey Troy, it's fantastic to have you on the channel. You're very well known in the industry, but perhaps for people who don't know who you are, could you give us like a quick overview of who you are and what you get up to? Yeah, well, good question. So uh, I, I think I'm, I'm well known now for building a data breach notification service called Have I Been Pwned. Yeah. I, I was a software developer. I had some spare time. I built something I thought some of my friends would use and I gave it a stupid name and then 10 years later, here we are. Yeah, I, want to, I want to ask you about that because I've heard you say that before, <laughs> stupid name. How did you come across the name and what do you wish you'd called it? Something more corporate perhaps? Well, you know, it's, it, it's funny. So it, if you've ever tried to get a domain name recently, right, like exactly. a, a .com, yeah. not one of the weird new ones, but like a full, yeah like firstclasscitizen.com, it's hard to get a domain name. And it was hard 10 years ago as well. And I was trying all these different things. And I was like, ah, no one's going to use it anyway. It doesn't matter. We'll just make it like pwned. So I'll use that. And what's quite funny is as it's gotten more traction, particularly it's gotten like mainstream and lots of like government and law enforcement support and so on, people have said, oh, maybe you should be responsible and grow up a little bit and call it something mature. I'm like, no, <laughs> why would I do that? Because we get to have conversations like this. It's exactly right. I mean, just for, for, for people perhaps who don't know, I mean, most of the audience will, will know what, what is pwned? Where, where, where does it originate? I know you've got all this on your website, but it's much nicer getting it directly from yourself. So if, if you look at your keyboard, the P and the O keys, I've got to double check, they're right next to each other. It's yeah. O and then P. And, and, and apparently that the heritage of this is that at some point in time, someone playing a game meant to say something like, hey, I've, I've owned you, you know, I've, I've, I've fragged you, whatever it may have been at the time. And they hit the P key instead of the O key. And it's just kind of stuck in the same way as like HODL has stuck. And it, it, it just became one of those things. And it, it, I guess it became a little bit of a popular culture and a meme thing. Search for like pwned memes. And there's like just people getting eaten by whales and, you know, whatever other random stuff is out there. Uh, and, and it's sort of become a thing. If you're in a data breach, you have been pwned. And that, that's where it came from. Troy, before we get into the actual interview, I want to give people uh, details of your social media. You, I believe, have a YouTube channel and you, and you stream or you do live sessions every week or something. Is that right? Yeah, I've, I've done it every week. I think I'm at 380 something weeks in a row now, which, which surprises me. And it's it, it, like no matter where I've been in the world or no matter how weird my life has been, I've done it every single week for uh, I don't know how many how many years that is now, six years <laughs> or something. So I'm, I'm just TroyHunt.com. On, on YouTube. That's great. So I mean, for everyone who's watching, please go and subscribe, go and show your love. Troy, on the on the live stream, do can people just ask you questions, or do you have like a theme about that you that you cover every week or something? Yeah, look, it's um, it, it's it's very much interactive. I, I have a a bunch of, of topics and things which I broadcast in advance, and then I, I talk about those, and I get a lot of questions. And if if I'm honest, the reason it's a live stream is I just worked out it was a lot easier than pre-recording stuff because I was doing it every week. And regardless of how busy it was, I'd always do it. Pre-recording and then editing and then uploading, I just found it was a bit more effort. And I like the engagement. And short of being somewhere where I don't have signal, which only happens maybe once a year, yeah, I just do it live every week. And it's, it's fun. Um, I want to go back to the sort of the origins. 
there was a specific reason why you created this, right? Uh, some, something happened with your data, I believe. Well, there was a catalyst, which was the Adobe data breach. So in October 2013, Adobe had 150 million and a bit records exposed. And at the time, I was, I was writing blog posts about data breaches and, and doing some analysis. And, and I was looking at stuff like, hey, isn't it interesting? There's two different data breaches and the same email addresses in each one used exactly the same passwords, you know, like who to thunk it. And uh, looking at the Adobe data breach, I found my data in there twice and and once was my personal email account and once was, uh, or, or the other one rather, was my corporate email account. So I worked for Pfizer at the time. So I, I had a, a Troy Hunt Pfizer account. And, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm in there twice. Also, <laughs> why does Adobe have my data? Because I didn't think I had a relationship with them. But because I was a web developer and I'd used Macromedia Dreamweaver in the past and then Adobe bought Macromedia, my data flowed to somewhere I didn't expect it to go. So I thought, look, if, if I'm sort of living in this world and I find this surprising, I think other people will find this surprising as well. And you know, it's funny, it's like we're, we're almost at 10 years, but even now, like almost every week, something weird like that happens. So I, I, I swear it was only three days ago, I'm sitting there with my wife, we're sitting outside and I'm saying, you know, we loaded this Luxottica data breach the other day. And she's like, what's Luxottica? Oh, they make sunglasses and things, you know, like yeah. uh, Oakleys and Ray-Bans, et cetera. And she's like, let me just take my old Outlook. Oh, crap. i got another email from you. <laughs> so <laughs> she's, she's, going, she's in the data breach. She's like, oh, well, okay. That's, uh, congratulations. It's like you and 77 million other people. There's a cautionary tale then. I want to ask you a, in a moment about like how do we protect ourselves or what's, what's the recommendations are. But I heard another very interesting story where you donated blood, right? And yeah. you, uh, can you tell us that story? I mean, it, it, I think it's a fantastic example of where data isn't where you think it ends up. Well, you, you know, the, the story here is that one of the things that we tell people about protecting their data is to try and be selective about who you give it to. And you know, data minimization, don't provide information to people you don't need to, don't put it on the internet if you don't need to. So, it, you know, it must have been about 2013, the blood van came around to, to Pfizer. Everyone knows who Pfizer is now. Back then, no one knew who it was. And I had to sort of say, you know what Viagra is? And they're like, yeah, yes, yeah. So, okay, we went that. Anyway, so they came around to the Viagra factory, literally, <laughs> where we worked. And they said, uh, you know, if anyone wants to donate blood, and a bunch of us were like, okay, well, yeah, we should. It's a good thing to do. And I remember I got the clipboard with the piece of paper and the pencil and I wrote in my personal information and, you know, I went about my business. And then in 2016, they had a data breach and the data breach was one of their providers had taken a database backup that put it on a publicly facing website for testing purposes right. and it got indexed. Always. Found it. It's always testing. It's testing production. Uh, well, it's rather it's 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 testing in test, but with with production data. So <laughs> someone found the database, sent it to me, and and we we think we got a good lid on it. I found the right people at, at the Red Cross uh, and and their and their their partner who did all their incident response stuff. Uh, but yeah, my data was in there, and it had my date of birth and the date. And and the interesting thing about Red Cross Blood Service as well. When we think about the data that we provide, uh, I'm not sure how many folks out there are given blood before, and it's probably a little bit different, different place in the world. There are very, very relevant questions to ask a blood donor about their, let, let's say that their practices in life, you know, yeah. because you're going to take something out of someone's body and put it into another body. And so those questions included things like, this is one that always sticks in my mind, have you had at-risk sexual activity? And so I thought, oh, gee, that's a bit personal. But then again, if I was going to get their blood, I'd kind of be interested in if they'd, I, I feel like it was a very polite way of saying, have you slept with a prostitute before? Which is very relevant information when you take blood from one person to another. So it included that data, which again, for many people would have been filled out by pencil and paper 
with the expectation of it remaining private. And now here we are. I mean, that that's the worry, isn't it? it I, I'm not sure if it's fair to say this. I think you need to live under the assumption that your data is going to get breached. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. Is, is, is that fair or is, is it just simply the, the, the recognition that this is the reality today? It's a really difficult one because we are so dependent on information systems for so much of our communication. And, you know, we've just also finished saying that this was pencil and paper <laughs> and it exactly. ended up online. But if we think about all the communication we've had, and it could be anything from uh, romantic messages to a loved one to the communications with an accountant or a lawyer, that they are digitized, they are cloud-based, they usually sit there for perpetuity. How many people go through their email and it's like, I'm going to purge out everything older than, you know, five years or something. So it sits there forever. Uh, and it is it is a bit of a wake-up call, isn't it? I mean, so let's talk about that. What can you as an individual do? Um, I think you've mentioned that term again, now, like uh, reduce your uh, the data that you, that you, um, that you give out, right? Um, and then what can companies do? Because it seems like companies are just getting breached every day. Well, uh, we, we've got to look at it from both sides. And, and, and the way you've put it is, is very correct. What can we as individuals do? And then what can we encourage organizations to do? So we as individuals can try and reduce our footprint. Now, it's, it, it's hard if you want to donate blood, you will have to answer very personal questions. Depending on your perspective, let, let, let's say a good, run of a good run if you're in my industry, a good run of data breaches in Australia in the last seven months. Uh, we, we've had two really major ones last year, a telco and a private health insurer, and then a, a financial services provider this year. And the, the discussion that came up a lot, uh, incidentally, it's basically covered just about everyone in Australia because we've got 25 million people. There are 11 in the first one, 11 in the second one, some crossover in the Venn diagram, <laughs> and then a bunch of people in the other one. I got out unscathed. My parents were in the financial one. But uh, particularly for like that private health insurer, when we talk about minimizing your data footprint, can you imagine going along to a private health insurer and saying, I'd like a policy? And they go, okay, we need to know your pre-existing conditions because that will affect your premiums and whatnot. And you go, no, because I'd like to protect my privacy. They're going to go, okay, well, Goodbye. no health insurance policy. <laughs> like you just, you just don't get it because it's very relevant information. But now that data data got ransom and leaked publicly. And if you'd had an abortion or a drug addiction or all sorts of other really personal stuff, which they deliberately leaked out to create impact, that's wow. out there. If you look at it from the other perspective, the data breach we had in, in September was from our second largest telco, a company called Optus. Uh, again, about 11 million records there. They had a huge amount of data for people who hadn't been customers for something like 20 years. And it's things like identity documents, driver's license numbers. Wow. So to put it back on the organization side, how long do you need to keep this information for? You know, what is the useful period of retention? Because there's a point at which it's valuable to the organization. And then there's a point where it becomes a, a corporate risk. Uh, and I would argue that 20 years worth of driver's licenses <laughs> is a corporate risk. I mean, you've had these discussions. I want to come back to the to the individual part, because a lot of people who watch the channel are interested in privacy and, you know, protecting their data from everyone. Um you you tell us a story about the socks because that's very re relevant. I think about uh, <laughs> oh the Congress uh, socks. Yeah, the Congress uh, socks. Yeah. So um, we live in a part of Australia here. I mean, I think everyone's got, got their own uh, interpretations of what Australia looks like, and you're probably right. <laughs> it's very very <laughs> special here. Let me guess: snakes, kangaroos, crocodiles, or alligators, right? A particularly casual place here, which is which is called the Gold Coast. So we're in sort of yeah. the, the sunshine state. And, and I, like I got dressed up for you because I put on a T-shirt. I kept my board shorts on, no socks. <laughs> you know, this is our standard tie. Well and, done. And then, <laughs> then I got asked to go to Congress in, in the US 
uh, in 2017, which is kind of funny because I, I got this email and they're like, hey, come to Congress, you know, it's in DC. Uh, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm Australian, right? Like, what? And I don't know, it'll be fun. And I'm like, okay, let's, what could go wrong? Let's do it. But because th- this is how I normally dress, and like, honestly, it, it is board shorts and bare feet, and this is this is our normal lifestyle. So I th- it's, the, it's the way it should be, man. It's the way it should it's be. The way it should be, right? It's, it's you know as, as close to nature as we can get. So I, th- I went, all right. Well, I, I got to get some clothes, obviously, because you can't go to Congress dressed like this. And I, I went out and I bought a I bought a suit and a shirt and a tie and everything. And I didn't want to take it too seriously, so, so I, I went online. I said, "Does anyone have some socks?" Because socks became like the big swag thing. You go to a conference and you get really really cool tech socks. Uh, and and Sophos, the security company, went, "Yeah, yeah, we got some socks. We'll send them to you." So I got these socks with like this um, bearded, uh, like hippie Unix looking dude. Uh, and, and it said, for those about to code, we salute you. So I wore the socks to Congress. And for some reason, someone got a photo of me sitting at the desk talking about something or other next to these very two serious looking guys who are the other expert witnesses. And there's just my socks with this bearded guy. And then somehow that ended up on Shutterstock. And you can buy a photo of my socks on Shutterstock for $199 US too, which is a lot of money over here in Australia, so $300 Aussie to get a photo of my socks. And, and that was sort of the moment where I went, wow, stuff has gotten really, really weird, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, because I, I, there's a lot to, to talk about. I mean, you went from like a very small beginnings, just thinking your friends are going to you know, worry about this. And now it's like a worldwide thing You're in front of Congress. But let's go, let's talk, let's go back to the, you know, what are companies doing? So when you spoke to these like very important people, did they actually understand what you're talking about? Um, I think you've kind of alluded to this in other talks, but you know, the, the problem is, do they actually understand? Because you've seen that I've seen the TikTok interrogations and <laughs> Facebook and whatnot, and it's hilarious. Mr. Chu, does TikTok access the home Wi-Fi network? Only if the user turns on the Wi-Fi. I, I'm sorry, I may not understand. Um, and then, what? What? You know, what's the response from government? And it, it always it always makes me think about that one where Zuckerberg's getting interrogated, and it's like, how do you make money? It's like, well, we we sell ads. <laughs> Isn't it obvious? Well, if so, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. So the, the the appreciation that I got going to Congress is that uh, that the congressmen and the congresswomen who who were there at this hearing, they were going from something about cybersecurity, which is very important to me, and it's it's my world and it's all I think about, and then they were going into another hearing about the opioid addiction. And w- what that got me thinking about is I, I know I know very little about that. Uh, compared to, to what I do about my industry. But these people have to keep bouncing between all these different things. And the, the next thing it might have been about, you know, farmers and wheat or something like that. And then it's about health. Like it's all these different things that these folks need to be across. And you, you see this veneer on TV, which is the the, the the talking heads. Now behind them, they have staffers. And, and the staffers are the people who are the experts at these different topics. And the experience I had with the staffers is that they were really, really switched on, like really, really smart. Tonight quality people yeah. like it uh, i went and had lunch with a few of them and they're just just not only genuinely nice people but just very very intelligent folks as well and inevitably there would have been medical professionals once i went on and they did the opioid thing I, I was sort of conscious that i had to craft my my testimony and then my responses in a way that could relate to people who uh, you know many of them were, were a lot older than me they'd be in their, their 60s or their 70s so probably from a different era with different levels of understanding uh 
with a thin knowledge or layer of knowledge about this topic, but with people behind them who could take things and action things. So how do I talk in a way that they understand, but it actually gets through to people and makes a difference later on? And, and look, the last thing I'll say is, is that the, the congressman, the congresswoman that, that I did meet, uh, were all super, super lovely, very, very nice people that were very ingratiating and, and happy to have me there. And, and honestly, like I left there with a much more positive experience and positive perception of politicians than what I had before I went in there. That's good to know, because I mean, all we see are the, the, the memes on, on, on the internet about how silly the questions are. And then, you, and then you, you get the impression we screwed. The sensible questions wouldn't really be that interesting to watch in a meme, would they? <laughs> you know, like exactly. we're, we're always going to see the outliers because that's the thing that, that we're all interested in watching. But I mean, your, what's your sense? It, what's the solution to all of this? Because, you know, you, you're on the, the, the forefront of, you know, these data breaches happening all the time. So, you know, what can government do? Is it more regulation? It doesn't sound like that's going to do much. What do companies need to do? What do, what do we as individuals need to do? Well, it, it's a combination of multiple things. And I think one of the things that's quite fascinating is often I'll hear this question about, are we winning the war? You know, like, yeah. are we winning yeah. the war against the hackers? And I, I sort of think about it a, a little bit like saying, are you winning the war against your fingernails? I keep cutting them and they keep growing back. It's like, when am I going to win this war? It's like, what do I do? Well, you maintain an equilibrium and you find where your healthy equilibrium is. You usually know when you go a little bit too far one way or the other because someone tells you or something gets uncomfortable. And I think it's very much like that in this industry where we're trying to find the sweet spot. Uh, and, you know, the, things like the, the way we, we we create passwords, great example. Uh, you, you know, we, we, we started out with a very small number of online systems and we were pretty liberal about things. And then we got more and more and more and then we went, oh, people keep reusing their passwords and, and they're weak. We should make them have uppercases and lowercases and numbers that will fix the problem. And then we go further down the line and we've got so many systems and people are using them and they get breached in one place and go to the other place. All right, well, now we should have multi-factor. So now there are phishing kits that deal with multi-factor. So we should have universal two-factor. So now, and you know, like we keep lifting the bar and people keep catching up and we keep finding a new equilibrium. And I think that's the takeaway. It's, it's not a war that's won or lost. It's something that we keep in balance. I think it's a great way to put it. I've heard you say that the biggest threat today is passwords, right? Well, passwords are just, uh, it's like, yes, I feel passwords get a bad rap. <laughs> you know, so, yes, they're a massive issue. But the reason they get a bad rap is that so often you hear people say, you know, that they're the worst form of security. Why don't you all have U2F keys? Or you know, there's a an authentication method where you get an app and there's a QR code and you scan it and you're at the end of the thing. And every time someone says this, it's like, well, if all these other things are so good, why do we still have passwords? Because people are idiots, you know, I haven't adopted it. Companies spend a lot of money researching this stuff. And, and the simple answer is we still have passwords because everybody knows how to use them. No matter how technical you are, you know how to use a password. It's the same reason we have static knowledge-based authentication. We use people's date of birth and their first school and then the mother's maiden name because if you're my 74-year-old mother, you can relay that just as easily as my 10-year-old daughter. It works across Everybody, it has a low overhead of implementation. You don't have to buy a security key or teach people something new. That's why it works. And uh, I think that we very often in this industry miss the fact that we have humans interacting with these systems and businesses ultimately trying to have customers and sell products and making the barriers to entry as low as possible. And then again, trying to find the equilibrium of how we protect people at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very good point. I mean, I think people in this industry, I, I get a lot on YouTube. I mean, YouTube, I mean, I've, I've heard you say it on, the comments you get on social media are like insane sometimes. Um, <laughs> like everyone should be doing this you know, it's so dumb not that you don't do this, but not everyone has those skills. And I love the example you did with the, you know, the the U.S. Senate um, or Congress, sorry, where you went from one talk to another, and you know, you were really 
you're an expert in one field, but definitely not in another field. And I think we sometimes forget that because like you said, your, your 74 year old mother, you know, you can't expect to use Yubi keys and perhaps stuff like that. No. And, and the, the example I often give here is, um, my mother, uh, has just turned 74. My father's about nine months older. Yeah. The similar demographic, similar ages. Dad used to be a pilot. So he was used to flying, you know, very complex machinery and dealing with complex problems. He is comfortable dealing with the digital password manager. So he's had a password manager for many years and he uses that, let's say, adequately. My, my mother is not as comfortable with that, so we give her a password book. Uh, and, and very often people see these and I get these tweets and people will go, hey, Troy, I just found this really stupid thing. It's not even encrypted. Ha, ha, ha. And it's like, well, if my mum uses that and she puts in the name of the website and she puts in her username and then she puts in, let's say, a passphrase, you know, like four random words. And they're different for every website. She is so far ahead of the 90% of other people who are using the same password everywhere. And you get breached somewhere and then you got the keys to the kingdom and you just go through their digital lives. You know, that is a massive improvement. And I think we've got to stop looking at these things in isolation and saying, is this uh, a perfectly secure implementation? And looking at it more in terms of the whole spectrum of things and saying, well, look, where does it sit? We've just moved her from here all the way to here. I'd love to get her to the digital password manager, but that's a small step. She's doing great. So, I mean, let's, the audience is technical. So if I'm technical, what, what do you recommend I do? I, I, do I need an app? And I mean, do you have any favorites? I mean, the big the big one that always comes up in discussions on YouTube recently is like the breach at LastPass. Yeah, um, I was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I, did, I would say, do you want to give us your favorite? Because I think we both use the same one. And then yeah, like, what's your so, thoughts on um, LastPass? And go on. Full disclosure, I'm on one password's board of advisors. So it, yes, inevitably okay. is one password. Uh, but look, I, I, I guess that the way I've approached my life online is that I've just written about everything that I'm interested in. And so everyone has an open book of, of transparency and chronology. So I started using them in 2011. I loved it. And many, many, many years later, uh, I, I ended up doing, doing some work with them. So that's the one that I use. I chose it because it synced across. I've got my iPad here, my iPhone. There's one PC there. There's another PC there. Everything syncs. That works great. So I'd encourage everyone to use, if not one password, then another good password manager good password manager because that's um look in, in lost fairness pass. lost pass as a, as a joke is at the moment but <laughs> sorry go on if you were to be honest about it let, let's say uh you went okay everyone's going to go use LastPass. you know they, they had major things like encrypted keychains being obtained from cloud storage late last year as a worrying headline you are still so much better off with that model than the model where you have the same weak password you use everywhere else. And again, there's there's a continuum here. So as much as I've had a bad rap in the press, th that's still so much better than not having one. I just think that there are better password managers. There are many others out there. So for the sake of example, there's uh, Dashlane and a, a whole bunch of other things out there. You're open source, free, commercial, whatever you choose. That's a massive thing. Uh, obviously, multi-factor authentication is, is a big thing. Often I hear people say, don't use SMS because having 2FA with SMS is worse than just having a username and password. And I'll go, no, it's not. You, you, you can't do maths if that's what you think it is. It's like that is, let, let's call it one point something FA, but that is still greater than one FA because you still need a username and a password and something else. And yes, if someone sim, uh, sim jacks you, that's a new term, sim hijacks you, and you have the username and password, well, then you get in. Soft tokens are more preferable because you don't have the whole SIM problem. Universal two-factor authentication, the YubiKey is massively, massively popular. They're better again. Uh, cost barrier because you've got to go and buy one and then you've got to have it with you. And then if you don't have it with you, you can't log into your things. So we have the usability issue as well. 
You mean, so the, I, th- I think you've said the best or the, the, the quick wins, right? Because that's what we, a lot of people are looking for is use a password manager. Um, so would it be that? And then have you got any other tips, like you said, reduce the data that you give out, right? Yeah, the, the, the idea of practicing data minimization, I, I think is very good. Now, I just gave two examples before, uh, say our, our telco and our private health insurer, yeah. they both popped last year. You, you just can't withhold the sort of information that they lost. But there are many other cases where you can and the example I always give is there is a website called catforum.com and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a website where you go and you talk about cats. And during the registration process, they ask you if you'd like to leave your date of birth. And I sort of go, well, why? Like, do, do you get a like a, a cat email once a year or something like that. What is the point of doing that? All you do is you give up static knowledge-based authentication. But what's really funny is, is usually when I when I see dates of birth in a data breach where they just didn't need to be, I'll have people contact me and say, well, you got to do that because of COPPA, the Child Online Privacy Protection Act in the US. You know, you, you got to get the date of birth because they got to be 13. And, and then I'll say to people, well, why don't you just ask the person if they're 13? And I kid you not, time and time again, people say, well, you can't do that because they could lie. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many times I go through a data breach and there is this massive skew of year, or not, not the year, but month and day, which is the 1st of January. Yeah, you know, don't worry about the year, but there's so many people born on the 1st of January, like incommensurately so to every single other day of the year. People lie all the time. Like lying is not the problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the other the other one is mother's maiden name. It seems to be like always asked in the UK. It's like a big one. Yeah. Um, so what do you do? Do you lie? Do you put fake information in? Because it's it, it seems like when I spoke to Rachel Toback, I mean, she she had this a piece recently where um, on 60 Minutes where she was showing how to hack people very, very quickly. And it seems like telephone authentication is a, is a joke, really. Um, what do you, what's your recommendations for this stuff? I, I saw some clips of that. So that was the one where she had some AI system like repeat yes. the, the voice, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, Mimic the voice, yeah. As we set up for an interview, Toback called Elizabeth, but used an AI-powered app to mimic my voice. Elizabeth, sorry, need my passport number because the Ukraine trip is on. Can you read that out to me? I think lying is good. You just need to remember which lies you tell to which people. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is the <laughs> mother's maiden name thing is is a great example. Uh, and, and in fact, th- this was the premise of, of the congressional testimony. It's, it's like the impact of data breaches on knowledge-based authentication. And something like your date of birth, your mother's maiden name, your first anything is static KBA. Uh, it is static because you cannot change it. Like once it's there, it's it, it's there. Now, you can give the wrong answer to someone, but the whole point of KBA is that you can relay the same answer that you gave to them later on. So you need to then record that, which is another good value proposition of the password manager. So whenever I feel like I can lie and get away with it, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment, whenever I feel like I can lie and get away with it, I put the lie in that account in my password manager, and I often just generate a passphrase. You know, what's your favorite city? And I just got the, like, the weirdest stuff in there. Now, the bit about getting away with it, I am reluctant to lie about something like my birth date to the government <laughs> because yeah, yeah. one day I'm going to be like lodging a tax return and I'm going to end up in jail or, or something like that because I am not me anymore, which is which is really uncomfortable. So you've got to pick which organizations you tell which lies to and then remember them. Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard you say there was an example where kids lied about their age, right? And then later on, they had to put in their right age and then the account got taken away or something, right? So I have a very good friend who has two daughters that are now early adult years and they're extraordinarily intelligent girls. And I've known him for the last 20 years, so since they were very young. And 
uh, one of them got particularly interested in aviation safety well before she was 13, which, which I think is very unusual for a child. But anyway, this was the niche that she wanted to carve out. And this friend of mine, being a, being a very technical guy, he's like, all right, well, we'll get your Twitter account and then you can start engaging with people. So uh, obviously to get a Twitter account being less than 13, they lied. <laughs> so she got this Twitter account and she built up years and years worth of history, communicating with people and building this online profile. And then eventually she's old enough where she's like, I think I can tell the truth now. And she puts in the date and Twitter's just gone, yep, gone. Because clearly oh. you lied earlier on and you've now created a profile that that was fraudulent. So, so my my son is is 13 and he's a very tech-savvy kid and he wants to do what I do and all the rest of it. And I sort of said to him, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to – you can have access to this stuff but you cannot create an account until you get to 13 because of these reasons. Uh, and I, I think that that's probably sound advice. Yeah, it's so hard because, I mean, like you're saying, don't give – Static data that doesn't change, if you can, but if you if you fudge it, it can land you in trouble. It's like it seems like companies and governments are asking for ridiculous stuff. So what do we do as individuals? Yeah, you've you've got to again be selective. Um, I did a, a user group a couple of weeks ago in in Perth, and uh, we, we we basically just did a, a couple of hours of, of open mic and Q and A, and someone was very worried about the digital drivers licenses. So we're, we're gradually rolling them out, different cadences for different states here. And they said, um, "I'm worried about the digital drivers license because the government will be able to see my data." And I went, <laughs> but, but, you, "But the government prints your plastic drivers licenses now. They they already have your data. The only difference is now you're walking around with your drivers license on here in a digital format. They already have the information. So I, I think we've got to be a little bit conscious about what sort of information the government already has before we lose our minds about thinking that they might have something if we give it to them, but they already have it anyway. So what's the problem? Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm 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 just looking for my tinfoil hat. You know, it's like um, <laughs> I know. You know, <laughs> what's the what's the you you've so I wanted to ask this uh, or phrase it this way. You've seen millions and millions of records. Yeah. Um, or it's billions now. You can give us the exact Brilliant. number. But, you know, based on all that experience, you know, how, what, what, what would you recommend or, or what would you do? You know, if you were me, what would you, what would you do? Because you, like bad passwords seem to be still used all over the place. You know, what would you recommend that's like the, the balance or, you know, not tinfoil hats type stuff? Well, I, I think we talked about some of the mechanical things. Uh, yeah, password managers, strong unique passwords, multi-factor authentication, data minimization. In a way, that's that's the very easy stuff. I think the stuff that's maybe a little bit harder, which I'd love to just see an, an attitude shift in, is we, we tend to be very worried about things that we probably should be less worried about and not as worried about the things we should be more worried about. And, and to give that's you a couple of examples, yeah, yeah. Uh, I often hear from people, they say, my email address is very sensitive personal information. I don't give that to anyone. Well, how do you get email? <laughs> it's like the whole, the, the only way the email address works is you have to, you're going to be very lonely otherwise. And it's the same with phone number. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't protect that information and give people the, the rights to only give that to the people they want. But this idea that somehow it is this, this, this in, in just super, super sensitive personal information is, is just not right. So, you know, that's, that's a great example. I, I think also, Certainly in, in parts of the world like where I am and I think most of the Western world today, the, the view that the government is out to get you, I feel very uncomfortable with. And, and, and the reason I feel very uncomfortable with that is I spend so much time now, not just with the Congress stuff, but with different governments and law enforcement agencies around the world. And consistently, time and time and time again, that the folks I deal with there are doing really, really good stuff to keep all of us safe. They're, they're not out there to screw us, certainly not in the experience I've had. And 
what tends to happen is a little bit like the comment we made before, when things go wrong, they get all this news. You know, Snowden gets all the news. It gets a lot of traction because it was a it was a very sensational thing. When I've sort of said to people before who are very anti-government and they'd say, you know, they've done this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. It's like, yeah, what do you think about the, the cybersecurity initiatives they've done well? <laughs> and normally they've got no idea what they are because they don't make the headlines. So I think adjusting our thinking about those those key things would be a really healthy uh, exercise for people. So I mean, like, what about VPNs and like talking about email? Apple have this thing now where you can like give like a random email address when you sign up for stuff. Do you think those kind of things are good? Uh, what you know, what are, what are other recommendations you've got? Yeah, so masked emails have become quite popular. Apple's got their their native integration. One password's got one they do with Fastmail as well. I, I think the, the interesting way of looking at email addresses is. Is that they are like the primary key to your digital life. That they're not the skeleton key. That they're not the secret. That they're the public identifier that ties all of your information together. Uh, and obviously, as our have been pain works, right? It's like you put in an email address, and it's like you're there, 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 and there because this is the thing that's tied everything together. I, I do like the idea of being able to break apart the the easy mapping. Of, a, of email addresses to different services. Now, the, the masked email addresses are one way because if you look at one masked email address next to another, you've got no idea that there's any association whatsoever. Obviously, that then creates an abstraction layer where Apple does the mapping or Fastmail does the mapping. So now you've got another party being able to join the dots in your life. A lot of people also use things like sub-addressing where if you're john at gmail.com, you'd have like john plus Netflix at gmail.com, john plus Dropbox at gmail.com. Now, that's really interesting too because on the pure string matching basis, they no longer match. Yes, you could look at it and you could strip out the plus and so on and assume they're the same person. But then you could also go and just get your own domain and you can have whatever you want at whatever.com, uh, which is also quite useful because then they're totally different email addresses and you've just got to catch all. So a lot of people I know, particularly in our industry, do that. That's kind of useful as well. And the, the other really big benefit of it is, is that time and time again, you will get some junk from somewhere and you'll go, why am I getting this junk? And then you'll look at who they sent it to. And it's like, why are they sending it to that, that Airbnb place that I stayed at three months ago? And they're trying to sell me shoes <laughs> you know, or something like that. Well, someone's either been selling my data or they've got breached. And, and it, you learn really fascinating things from it. Yeah, so what, I mean, big lessons, like would you use a VPN on the road? Would you use a VPN at home? Um, it sounds like you, you, you're you saying it's a good idea to use these like masked um, email addresses, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we've got to, uh, I guess, break down the concepts. So, so the, the masked email addresses work really well to give abstraction between your real identity and the identity that you give a service. Now, the, the VPNs, uh, and again, full disclosure, I'm on NordVPN's advisory board as well. The, the VPNs really help you in terms of abstracting things like your IP address from your relocation. Uh, just before we started recording this, I've had this this experience over the last 24 hours where my wife's trying to sell a fridge and she put it on Gumtree. I don't know if you have Gumtree over there, but uh, yeah, I saw I saw you you tweet about this. Go on. I don't know if you've seen the last bit because it was it, no, no, I, no, no, no. I, I only saw a little bit. So tell us tell us a story. So anyway, as soon as you put something on Gumtree, these people start contacting you saying, "Hey, what's your email address?" And the first one came through, and I, I, I sort of had an idea what it would be, and I was like, "Look, just just tell them we can chat here." And of course, they disappeared. And then the second one came through, and I was like, "No, nah, I'm bored. Let's just see how weird it gets." <laughs> so we begin this like 24-hour dialogue, which basically involves this person and getting an email address from us and then saying, okay, I'm going to send the money and an $800 agent fee to you. You'll get the PayPal confirmation soon. Uh, and I've got this burner Gmail account. Everything goes through to there. And, and then, you know, straight to spam because it's obviously a fraudulent PayPal email. Uh, and then they're like, you know, okay, this is all done. Uh, now we just need you to pay the $800 to our agent 
and then we'll come over and we'll pick up the fridge. I was like, okay, 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 what's, what's the bank details? So they send me through the bank details for this agent who's probably a money mule, some sort of innocent person who answered an ad in the paper about, you know, work from home and make money. So anyway, I, uh, I, I send them the money and I, I slipped up a few things on Photoshop. <laughs> and you, actually, you actually sent them the money, right? Oh, hell no. <laughs> uh, okay, go on. Not a oh, bit. okay, sorry, I get, I get it. So you did a Photoshop job, right? I went down to my wife and I said, can you transfer me 10 cents to my account and then screen grab the confirmation on your iPhone then drop me the email? I got it. So I got that. And then I went over here and I went to Photoshop and I changed it all to have everything that the scammer had sent me. And then I just got like two numbers the wrong way around in like, a, I don't know, a nine-digit account number. And I sent it, it's like, the money's gone. And then they come back, no, 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 sir, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. <laughs> like, you've got a mistake in here. And we go backwards and forwards. And that, then I really wanted to figure out uh, their IP address. So I, I used uh, Grabify and I, I had uploaded the image of the the of the receipt, the payment transaction behind a Grabify link, grab the IP address, grab the location. You wouldn't believe it. They're in Nigeria. Yeah. <laughs> That's surprising. <laughs> yeah. So where it all ended up just now, just before we went on, on the air, um, is they'd sort of gone, okay, he, here's a different Australian bank. So I'd already got that one reported through to the bank, so they're shutting that down. Here's a different one, a different name, same bank, that's going off to them. And then here's another bank for the same person, so that'll go after that bank, they'll get those ones shut down. And then I just replied to the guy and, and basically, basically like a, it, it, it's a long-winded story, but I let him know that that I understood what was going on and that um, that he's probably not going to get any money. So I'm, I'm curious to see after we finish this conversation if he's replied to me or not. Do you want to have a quick look now? Yeah, yeah, well, why not? So part of this was there's, I feel there's always a sweet spot when you are uh, enjoying your time with a scammer about how much you disclose when, you know, because if you come on too strong, they drop off and then the game's over and then they they have time free to go and scam someone else. If you let let it drag on too long, you just burn your own time. So at one stage, I'd sort of said, said to this guy, he said, look, go back to your bank. You've transferred the money to the wrong account. Go back to your bank uh, and talk to your bank and try and get the money back. So, okay, I'll do that. So I went back and I, and I went back to him and said, look, I, I spoke to my bank. That They said, uh, yeah, do you have an adapter from a type I to a type DG? And he came back and went, this is making no sense. You're wasting my time. So anyway, here's the full message I just sent him. I said, I worked it out. It makes sense now. You see, the fridge has an Australian plug, just type I. And if you want to use it in Nigeria, you'll need a type D or G plug, hence the need for an adapter. They're totally different formats where ours look like a weird sad face and yours is either an upside down shocked face, which is the type D, or a partially complete game of Tetris, which is your type G. You can't just jam an Aussie pin into a Nigerian socket as you risk damaging the fridge. I'm not sure if your state of Osun, so he's in the state of Osun based on his IP address, not sure if your state of Osun uses type D or G, but please, it's a good fridge, look after it. Also, please update your iPhone. So Grabify also gives you the, the user agent stream. You're stuck on iOS 16.3 and 16.5 has been out for a while now. Go to general and then software update, and you should be able to see the new version. Your ISP, which is Celtel Nigeria, they can help if you need tech support. Tell them that your IP address is 105.113.16.132. They will give you, this will give you the new version of iOS, will give you stuff like the Pride Celebration wallpaper and a bunch of security fixes, some of which may also help protect you from scammers. I wonder if he's replied. <laughs> That's hilarious. I checked. No, he hasn't. He hasn't replied. What's fascinating about it, and I, I can't even pronounce the name, but the first person's bank account that he gave me um, looked to be what I assume is a Nigerian name. I haven't been in Nigeria, but 
let's just say the first name had every single vowel in it multiple times. So it looked like a Nigerian name, but it had an Australian bank account number. And it was a very, very unique name. And I, and I Googled it and I came out with the LinkedIn page, which was now 404 and had been deleted. But then I've managed to find this person on Facebook. And, and I, I have a suspicion that this person might be an innocent party who, like I said before, has just re- replied to an ad, make money from home. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to actually message this person and say, look, um, I'm, I'm just curious <laughs> if you've wow. been providing your bank account details. Actually, went to the same university as me, only a few minutes away from here. So, yeah, we've, we've got a common thread. And maybe it's the scammer, but maybe it's an innocent party too. And I'm just fascinated to hear their story. It's, you're going to update that on Twitter, right? Oh, totally, yeah. It's all going up there. I've already gotten in trouble from one bank for putting stuff up there because they said I shouldn't create fraudulent <laughs> fraudulent bank receipts because the scammers might learn the trick. Was the oh, bank's right. Yeah, right, right, right. Response. Yeah, and then I told, them, I told them quite honestly what I thought about that response. <laughs> That's hilarious. We're going to talk, get into the data breaches stuff in a moment, but I think a lot of people who watch this may be interested in like um, pen testing, uh, red teaming, stuff like that. If they find data breaches, if they find stuff, you know, it can be a worry. What's the best way to, you know, get, give you that information? Is it uh, Twitter? Or how, how do they tell you if they find something? Well, I mean, if, if you want to get in touch with me, there's a contact link on the top of troyhunt.com and a whole bunch of different channels there. The, the usual response I give people is that if, if they've found like a vulnerability or data, I'd, I'd really like them to get in touch with the organization, partly because I've just got too much happening at the moment. I've got the gazillion different data breaches. But partly also is that I'd like everyone to be a little bit more proactive online citizens if, if you if you see something bad then report it Gee, I feel like I'm talking about a crime on the street right but it's a little bit analogous to that uh, and and I I do lament how difficult it is to actually report security incidents but we, we can't stop trying either I saw you did a video where you said I'm going to take you through the pain that I have to go oh, through to yeah, try and report yeah. <laughs> report something so yeah. can you tell us about that you know it sounds like it's an absolute nightmare look it it usually is and it depends it depends on how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. So imagine the workflow here. Like I'm looking over at my email here, something pops up and someone's like, here's 10 million accounts from Acme Core. And I'm like, all right, that's that's interesting. I wonder if it's really Acme Core. So I go through a data breach verification process, which usually amounts to if it's an online asset where people create accounts, which is what most data breaches are, I'll go through or find some Mailinator accounts. So Mailinator a throwaway email addresses, public mailbox. I can send an email to Troy at mailinator.com via my email client and then I can go to the browser and I can go to Mailinator and just put in Troy and I can see the mailbox. So I'll go to like password reset, chuck in three different Mailinator accounts. If those password reset emails arrive in the mailbox, then I'll say, okay, well, that's what are the chances of that? Like three data or, or rather data points, email addresses from a breach and they all actually exist in the service. Probably legit. And then I go, okay, how do I find a security contact now? So how do I contact the company? Now, this sounds like a simple question, but for anyone out there thinking it's a simple question, go and pick basically any big organization in your country and see if you can find anywhere on the website that is a security contact, not a marketing contact or a privacy contact or a legal contact, something like that, or a generic mailbox, fill in a form, but a dedicated security contact. And we have standards for these as well. So we have things like the security.txt standard, where websites such as Google and troyhunt.com and haveibeenphone.com have forward slash dot well dash known forward slash security.txt. Contact email address, public key if you want to encrypt it, uh, policies around reporting. That just never exists for organizations that have had data breaches, not in my experience. 
there are organizations out there that have bug bounties. They're a very, very small number. There are organizations out there that have uh, responsible disclosure policies. Very, very small number. So I'm going through this pain in this video of like just trying to find any of these things. And then you're like, all right, what next? Uh, I could go to LinkedIn and I could try and see if I have a contact or a second or a third degree contact and I can reach out through them. Uh, and of course I will go through and I will fill out the contact us page and everything else, but it will probably go to junk because I'll think I'm trying to shake them down for money or something like that. And all the while it's like I have you know, 10 million of your customers here, their data has been taken by people, they're ending up in scams, the likes that were sent to me last night, and I can't get in touch with the organization so that they can practically let their customers know. And, and, and this is just the constant pain. And this is why it's so, so, so time consuming to, to process a data breach. I mean, it sounds like Twitter, you end up having to like ask people on Twitter, do they know anyone? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's where I often end up at. Because but by the time I get there, I've got two objectives. So, so one is that I'd still like to find a contact. The other is that I want to demonstrate that I've gone through enough due diligence that if I load this and then they get upset, they can't go, you didn't even try. So yeah, I did. <laughs> Here it is on Twitter. But the problem is, as soon as I go onto Twitter and I say, does anyone have a security contact at, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> you know, like, yep. Yep. Know, we so, all know what's coming. Uh, some of them are weird. So when I did this this live Q&A in Perth the other day and I was trying to show people this, so I went to Twitter and I was like, just search for Troy Hunt Security Contact app. And one of the first ones that came up was Grinder, And everyone's like, oh, tell me about that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I was going to ask you, like, uh, you've, you've kind of like uh, preempted me. I, um, I was going to ask about like your worst experiences. It sounds like, you know, with lawyers, it's, it's the nightmares. And I think you had an example of, and another thing that's kind of like adult fan fiction or something that was a oh, really that, bad that, example. And then Grinder was just a was more of like a really bad coding thing. But perhaps you can just talk about that, like some of your, your crazy experiences. So this is this has now become a barbecue conversation. So my wife and I would go out for dinner and they're like, you know, a new couple are like, what are you doing? We're having a fun chat, you have a couple of beers. And then my wife is like, tell them about the tell them about the one. And it normally starts with shit express. Now imagine you want to send a piece of shit to someone, but you'd like that as a service as opposed to having to do it yourself. Wow, so there this is, actually exists. It actually exists. It has been, I think it was on TechCrunch at some time as well. It's still there. It's called shitexpress.com. And you go there and you can order a box of the excrement and have it sent to someone with a note. Now, there are several fascinating things about this. Some of them kind of funny. Some of them I think very insightful. Um, so, you know, the, the, the funny bits we've sort of already covered, just the fact that this thing exists. The, the ones that are a bit more insightful, insightful is that uh, when you go there, you can choose the animal which you would like to have the said shit from sent to someone else because apparently that's important when you're sending boxes of crap around the world. And, and there's a lot of stuff on there about being all anonymous and everything as well. But when you have a data breach, you, you peer, peel back the veneer and you get to see everything underneath. You get to see how the sausage factory works. And what we learned is that every single time anyone sent shit to anyone, it was always horse shit. Every single time, only horses. Wow. And I guess it makes sense because we drive around here and you can literally pick up bags for free to fertilize your garden or something. So I, I think someone's onto a very low overhead business model. Here it's, just, it's like, yes, of course, it's like from a, I don't know, a rhinoceros or something like that. And then they just go and find a horse. Uh, but then all the messages that people sent. And of course, because they are actually posting it in the mail, it's all the sender's details and all the recipient's details as well. So that was all in the data breach, right? It's all in the data breach. Wow. 
And the messages are fascinating. Like a lot of it is just, you know, mates being mates and having a bit of a joke with each other. But then you know, there was one guy in there is he obviously just went on a bender one night and just sent boxes of shit all over the place. He was just angry at people. And he was like a security guard somewhere. And he's like, remember two months ago, you drove past and didn't say hello. Eat shit, man. Like, here you go. And they said, oh, wow. So that was a weird one. There's a lot of stuff that's in that kind of like edgy adult space which is yeah like maybe that's not our thing but it's probably legal and it's probably okay but 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 i'm not sure like one of them was like wife lovers for like photos of your wife and i, I think the edgy bit about that is you, you just i don't think i even had to look at the photos but you see the data and, and i think the feeling you get is that a lot of this is probably going to be non-consensual uh, which obviously does then get into a very very illegal space and there have been multiple data breaches where i've ended up reaching out to the likes of the Australian Federal Police and saying, look, I think um, I think this information has been posted over there. You probably should look at and see if you need to talk to your friends around the world and, and figure out whether it's legit or not. And then, Actually, Madison was like the famous one from a few years ago, right? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, that, that was massively mainstream, obviously. And what was fascinating about that is that that was uh, August 2015. And it was only a few months before that that there was Adult Friend Finder. And that was very much the same sort of thing. But instead of 30 million plus records, it was about 4 million records. And what I think made it really different is that the CEO of, of Ashley Madison had been out there very publicly spruiking extramarital affairs. He's like, no, no, this is really good for your marriage. You know, like, it's, it's, yeah, everyone's got their needs. It's, it'll help you explore. You'll be happier. And it was so mainstream. And I remember before the data breach, outside of any cybersecurity context, seeing this guy on TV, just going, wow, that's 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 a that's a gutsy position to take. Uh, and then, of course, the data breach happened. And, and again, we, we got to learn that uh, turns out not a lot of women on Ashley Madison. It's yeah. like surprise, surprise. The, the ones that had the, the appropriate flag to indicate they're female did have a lot of IP addresses at 127.0.0.1, which is kind of, okay, well, <laughs> you're a bot. Um, and we learned fascinating things, but, but obviously that also had a very dark side to it in that there were multiple suicides uh, as a result. And I think Ashley Madison, although it hasn't really changed the way we do anything in the industry, it was a point where we said, wow, these things can have real serious consequences. I mean, it's that whole thing, I think, coming back to what I said earlier, if you, if you go online to any of these sites, be careful what you put out there because it's like you said, reduce, you know, the information that you're sharing because you never know when or if it could be leaked and you're, become public. You're right. And it, it, it is a little bit of a sad thing to say as well, because regardless of your moral stance on something like Ashley Madison, people should have the right to go out there and explore relationships online. Uh, you know, in those cases, they're certainly not illegal. You can, you know, again, apply your own moral compass. And I'm, I'm really, I, I lament saying don't go and do it. It's a little bit like uh, I choose not to take intimate photos of my wife and I because it creates uh, a risk that I feel that I don't need to take. However, everyone should have the right to privacy to do that. And we're sort of at a point where we're saying don't do that because someone might come along and try to ruin your life with it. I mean, I think you've said it before, and I, I like that stance. You're interested in the data, not the reasons why people did stuff. I mean, it's a leak, isn't it? I mean, one leak is, I mean, might have bigger consequences than another leak, but it's the leak that's the issue. It, it is. And it's, I, I, like, I'd be lying if I said that there weren't data breaches where I, I do find them quite, quite curious and in some cases quite entertaining. You know, I, I think the Shit Express example from before, that that was an entertaining data breach. We've all learned something today from this. But particularly with Ashley Madison, because it was so impactful on people's lives and because I started getting so many very, very personal messages 
from people who felt that their lives were falling apart. I, I did get to the point where the, the way I dealt with it is, is I created an FAQs and every time I got asked a question, uh, I'd add it to the FAQ and I had a cut and paste response and I'd send that off to people and just not engage because it was, yeah, people didn't need me. They needed a therapist because it was serious life-changing stuff. Uh, I remember one I read just before going to bed one night and this guy said, yeah, kiss your wife and kids goodnight tonight because I'm not sure if I'm going to see mine again. I was like, oh, geez, well, okay, I can't really, yeah, I'm not equipped to deal with that or to help you with that. It's sad that we've got to the point, I mean, it's, it, you can get like tinfoil hat paranoia about this stuff, but, um, you know, there, there's so much data getting leaked and it seems like co co companies aren't doing enough. Troy, just to switch gears, you've recently added some features, well, um, you know, more recent features. Um, the two I want to talk about is like the password hashing thing and the API. Yeah. Oh, hey, today's a good day because today we, we hit 5 billion requests a month. So we finally hit the wow. big 5B mark. So the, 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 the way the password hashing works, uh, to, to scroll back a little bit, everyone has gone to a website before where you, you put in the same crappy lowercase password you've always used before. And the website says, in order for this password to be secure, you must have at least one uppercase character. So everyone just uppercases the first character. And then exactly. it's like, all right, that, that's good. Uh, you've also got to have a number. <laughs> so everyone puts a one at the end. And then it says, and you've got to have a non-alphanumeric character. So everyone puts an exclamation mark. It's really fun doing this on a stage, asking an audience what they do, because everyone starts looking really uncomfortable. And then one person says it, and everyone's like, oh, shit, they figured it out. <laughs> you know, like everyone knows my secret now. <laughs> but, it, but it's funny too, because we all know this and we all recognize it. And the hackers know it too. So the, the, the premise of arbitrary password complexity criteria uh, is terrible. It's, it's just as terrible as mandated rotation, where we all just increment the number at the end every month or every, every 90 days only. So uh, NIST back in 2017 came out with a bunch of guidance where they said, what is better than that is to look at things like passwords from previous breach corpuses. So if a password has been in a data breach before and it's been leaked publicly, uh, then that is at a much higher risk of account takeover. You should stop people from using those passwords. Good luck, go and figure it out yourself. <laughs> and then I sort of looked at it and went, well, I've got a lot of passwords because of have I been poem. I'll whack them all in a big database and then people can go and have a look at them and, and then they can use that to block passwords that have been breached before from their customers using them. And time sort of went by and, and Cloudflare did a bunch of work with me to create a really cool anonymity model. So you can query this API without disclosing the password, uh, which is fantastic. And just, just Google Troy Hunt and K anonymity and you'll work that out very quickly. And then time ticked by and more data breaches, more passwords. And then the FBI reached out and they said, we've got a lot of passwords. Can we keep giving them to you? So, yeah, cool. That sounds nice. I, I had expected a worse FBI email for sitting on all the data <laughs> breaches. That's great. We can work with that. <laughs> so, so the FBI has this pipeline where they feed in breach passwords into the service. We, we open sourced everything about 18 months ago as well. And now we've got the FBI feeding all this data into this open source model and then these APIs with anonymity sitting on top of it. Uh, and they're getting requested a lot. And, and again, this milestone we just passed today is it's now 5 billion requests in a month to this API. So what it means is when people are registering on a new site or when they're changing their password or when they're logging in, they're the three places that you normally provide a password to a website in plain text. Uh, that service can go and have a look at whether it's at risk or not. And I have no idea who uses it because there's no auth or registration or anything. I just know it's, it's used an awful lot and that's fantastic. I mean, that's great because, I mean, like you said, all the, the the ways of trying to force users to do passwords in the past seems to be pointless. 
at least this is stopping them reusing the same passwords. Yeah, and look, it's, it's part of the picture, right? Like you still want to have, uh, I got a good question at, at a talk last night. Someone said, look, sh should you just have this or should you have other things as well? So, well, you know, if, if your name is Acme Core, you should block every variation of the word Acme Core because people will use that and that's very predictable. Uh, you, you should still decide what you think is a reasonable minimum length. And that might differ depending on whether you're providing services to very highly technical people or less technical people. You have more valuable information, less valuable information. So it's 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 not the panacea, but I think it's an important part of the picture. Your background was originally development, right? Yeah, totally. And so you sort of went from dev to security, if I understand correctly. Um, the reason I'm asking this is it seems the problem is the developers or the, the websites because perhaps poor coding or something like this. These breaches are happening because of bad coding. So, you know, what's the solution or what, what are the <laughs> suggestions on how to improve it? So it's, it, it's funny. I, I keep hearing this figure and I don't know where it's come from, but it's, it's something like 90% of data breaches are due to human error. And I was at a, another talk recently and I, I think it was a politician before me had said that. And I went up and I went, I disagree with you. 100% of data breaches are from human error because we never have a data breach. And we go, I don't know how that happened because everything went perfectly well. It's like there is always a mistake mistake at some point. And, and very often it's a mistake at multiple points. And very often one of those points is the software that we've written has vulnerabilities. Uh, I, I mentioned Optus before, our second largest telco, 11 million records in their breach last year. Insecure direct object reference. There's a URL. It has a number in it. You change the number, you get someone else's data. Now we've known about that since like day one of InfoSec, but we keep making the same mistakes. Um, SQL injection, the gift that keeps on giving. And now that we have cloud, we have so many instances of misconfiguration, uh, databases missing passwords, databases backed up to publicly facing websites. That's what happened with the Australian Red Cross Blood Service. Their mistakes by developers, IT pros, and then there's a whole bunch of end user mistakes as well in terms of password reuse and so on. So, I mean, I think you've mentioned like uh, bug bounties. That's what companies should be doing. They should pay penetration testers people yeah. to to harden it and they it, and i mean you run these workshops don't you where you tr try and teach developers how to do better coding yeah so uh to, to, to go through each of those i guess in in order that that what i like about the bug bounties is that they they provide an incentive to do the right thing so they yeah. provide people an incentive to go and proactively identify vulnerabilities uh, and if they find them report them and then they'll, they'll make some money out of that which seems reasonable for the folks that stumble across these vulnerabilities that then they get rewarded uh, for their effort and they get incentivized to do that rather than to go and ransom the company or sell the data and i think what we've got to remember is a lot of the people responsible for these data breaches are at a bit of a crossroads. They're very often young, uh, very often children, if not uh, very young adults, very often insular, isolated, perhaps not well connected with what are the social norms and expectations. And, and they're sitting there making a decision. And we, we want to provide all the incentive we can to drive them down the right path because it, it's one decision away from a, a life of crime and jail and you know, possibly being a fantastic security researcher. So the, the, the bug bounties are, are great. They're they, they are non-trivial. This is why companies like HackerOne and BubCrowd are, are, are so popular because they wrap all this up in a service for organizations and manage the whole thing. They're fantastic. The, the whole idea that the workshops that, that I run, uh, they're called Hack Yourself First. They're for developers and security pros to try and break their own things before other people break them for them. 
So, so the idea that you need to go on the offense before someone else comes on the offense and, and understand that is, is very important. I, I think that it's very difficult to sort of tell a developer, uh, you should prematize your SQL queries so that you don't have SQL injection. Uh, good luck. <laughs> you know, I'll leave it at that. They really don't buy into why that is important. But it only takes them an hour of training and they're like, okay, yeah, I just got all of the data out of the database by adding a few characters to that query string. Uh, now I understand. I mean, it's great because, I mean, the a lot of people who watch this or watch my channel are interested in bug bounties, are interested in pen testing, stuff like that. So it's an industry that we need, really, based on like all these years of of data breaches and stuff. It sounds like it is a, a great place for young people to go and use their talents for the right thing. I think it's a, it's a good evolution. Uh, and look, there are people out there that are making a living out of doing yeah. the bug bounty thing. If we were to look at the number of organizations that have them, it, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. So we, yeah. we have a, a, a massive way to go, but just the fact that we're here today talking about bug bounties that are, are run by everything from banks to the Pentagon, you know, compared to like 10 years ago where it was a very sort of fringe thing is, is very different. So hopefully this is becoming more of a norm as well. So, you, I mean, you mentioned young people and the decisions they have to make in life. So I always like to wrap up with this. Troy, talk to your younger self. What would you advise yourself? You know, you've been down this road. You've learned a lot, um, perhaps from a techie point of view, but also from a business point of view, because, I mean, it must have been hard work to, you know, grow. Have I been pwned from, like, an idea to where it is today? Well, I think the, the advice is is to find something that you love doing and then it doesn't feel like work. Uh, yeah. yeah, have I been pwned was just that. Like, I, I had a, a full-time job. I was busy. But I, I found something that I enjoyed doing and other people liked, and I got pleasure out of that. And I, I, I now talk to my, my 13-year-old son quite a bit, and, and he's like every other 13-year-old in that he has a TikTok problem. And I said, mate, when I was, <laughs> I was older than you, but I was in my early 20s, and I was gaming too much. I would spend way too much time gaming. And I just got to the point where I went, if I was to use those hours and put them towards something else, I would be I would be a more successful, happier person. And, and that's what I did. And I put it towards things like writing the blog. So I, I found something that I enjoyed and I invested time in it. And it, it ultimately carved out a fantastic lifestyle for me. And that's that that's come to not just, just define me, but give me a huge amount of pleasure. And it, it means that when I sit down here and I do you know, the have I been pwned stuff. I don't feel like I'm, I'm working. I'm doing something that I find genuinely fascinating. I mean, I've seen your photos of the jet skis and everything you get up to. And it's like, <laughs> I'm sitting in like England where it's raining and I'm so jealous. Um, but I think that's a fantastic, you know, thing to say to young people is if you can do what you love, you never have to work again. I mean, I, I have a fantastic lifestyle as well. And I think what what's helped is putting content out there. Did you find that writing the blog putting your, your, yourself out there, being on Twitter and stuff really opened doors or was it just any other advice? It did over the course of time. And, and uh, I, I'm sure you you sort of receive the similar thing where, where people will, will look at the thin veneer that they see today and the recent history and they go, uh, they don't always say nice things. Let's just put it that way. Yes. But yeah. then, then I look back at it and go, well, I, I started, in fact, I started doing this a few months before my son was born. So that this was early 2009. Uh, and I, I plugged away huge numbers of hours, not to create the lifestyle I have today, but because I enjoyed it and it was wonderful. And I thought that it would probably give me opportunities in life later on. And that's ultimately what it's what it's led to. But, you know, we're, we're looking at a lifestyle today that's been you know, 14 years, I guess, in the making. And and I, I rarely stop as well. I, I usually get up at five o'clock in the morning and, 
and I just go until – I don't want to say I just go until I'm too tired as I, I'm working myself to the bone, but I just get so fascinated by these things. Eventually I'm like, i just got to stop and get some sleep <laughs> and then do it all again tomorrow. But, I mean, it's, it's like you said. I mean, if you find what you love, it's not it's not work, is it? You're getting paid to do what you, you would do anyway. It, it doesn't. It, look, it, it, it's definitely a, a challenge trying to find the, the right balance. And I, I've written before about uh, everything from dealing with stress through to dealing with, with divorce. I've been very candid about that. Uh, and trying to sort of find how I balance all that to, 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 to get the right mix for myself, for, for my wife now and for, for my kids is, has been a, a hard thing. And, and I keep tweaking it. And I have days, it's, honestly, it's like today was a bit of one of these days where I was, I was just absolutely sick of it. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I had to have a beer before I came and spoke to you. I was like, that's it. I'm over it. <laughs> you, should have, you, sh- you, should have, you should have told me that. You should have been drinking while we were talking, man. That would have been much more fun. Get, I get through the podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, um, Troy, I know you have to run. So I really appreciate you spending so much time with me, especially on a, like a hard, difficult day. Um, thanks once again for creating this. I mean, it's hugely impactful in the industry and I love that it's something that you that you enjoyed and then it turned into something that supports a, an amazing lifestyle so thanks so much yeah thanks David it was a pleasure I look forward to watching this later on too brilliant thanks alright cheers mate thank you for having me